Hi there, this is Stuart McKee, host of Musicians FAQ Podcast. Please join me weekly where we have music and chat with some of Canada's hottest artists.
That was John McKinley with an amazing acoustic electric instrumental guitar piece called The Ontarian Song with a beautiful choral ending. John just happens to be my very special guest this week. My name is Stuart McKee and this is Musicians FAQ. My guest this week is a singer, songwriter, guitarist extraordinaire who's been an icon and a fixture on the local scene for more than 30 years, both as a solo acoustic performer and with his band. He runs a regular jam night at the Jazz Room, and he's also got a Santana tribute band called Supernatural. He's a winner of the Mel Brown Blues Award, and he's one hell of a nice guy to boot. Please welcome to the show, John McKinley. So joining me on Musicians FAQ this week, it's John McKinley. John, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Stu, man. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. I mean, we've known each other for many years, uh, over yeah. the years, and seen you play out live. And I think I've even booked you a few times at some of the bars and restaurants that I ran. And uh, yeah. so this is this is a real kick. Uh, I knew we'd get to it eventually. And, and uh, we were saying before the show, I probably shouldn't have taken this long. But uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny. I had a conversation with my wife, and I was talking about you know guys like John and Mel Brown. They're world-class players. And we're spoiled here because we're used to having them in our community. And we sometimes maybe take that for granted. And I mean, I've probably seen you play 50 times, maybe a hundred times, same with Mel Brown, but you know, suddenly when he was gone, you kind of go, Holy shit, you know I mean? And how blessed we were yeah. to have people like you here. So, so well, I thought, thanks uh, say that. yeah, uh, you know, not that I'm thinking that anything is going to happen in the near horizon. <laughs> I, hopefully, <you'll... laughs> and John dies during my show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There you go. Um, but anyways, I'd like to go back to the beginning. And I know some of your history and I and I I've heard you on um Kitchener Famous with those boys and you know we've chatted over the years at the bar, but I don't really know that much about you personally. So for the benefit of myself and the people listening, uh let's talk about the early days, where you were born, where you grew up, and what your childhood was like. Okay, Stu, uh, I'd be happy to do that. I, I t- just so that you know I don't think a whole lot of people know a whole lot about me personally, but they mostly know me as as the persona in in the you know play music and stuff like that. So, right. Yeah. But I'm from, I'm from Roswell, New Mexico, and uh, that's uh, people used to ask me in the past. You know where where the hell is that? I never heard of it, and they don't say that anymore. No, no. It's <laughs> You're from nice. Roswell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you sure. see any aliens? Yeah. <laughs> no. Maybe uh, you are an alien. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But yeah, and. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, if you ever saw the movie um, Physical, uh, not Physical Graffiti, uh, American Graffiti. Yes, yes. You know where they drag racing on the main drag and driving yeah. up and down. That that's my hometown. That's exactly what it was like when I was oh, growing man. up there, Red. That's, that's totally so cool. like that. You know. That's so cool. Yeah. So uh, all those kind of cars, the cowboys, yeah. and, and and the the other kind of guys. One thing we had in our hometown was a, a military academy. Okay. Uh, it's 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 where, it's actually been there since the 1800s. People go from there to West Point and stuff like that. So these guys that would be in uniform and they're actually it's a high school and junior college. So right, we interact with these guys in uniform. We call them Rudy Toots. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, that was uh, that was kind of where I came from. 
Nice, nice. And and uh, a lot of music in the town as well. Well, first of all, actually, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the cars. So were you drag racing yourself? No, no, man. I wasn't. <laughs> My dad was interesting enough as a mechanic. And okay. he knew how to do all that stuff. Yeah. But it just never was my forte. I, I used to hate having to be out in the in the driveway with holding a flashlight and he's yeah. working on something. Ah, I, I thought, you know, he says, John, you, either you're going to learn how to do this or you're going to pay for it. And I, I'm thinking, I'm going to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> so that wasn't me, dude. <laughs> but, I've, I've, I've kind of learned friends, the same thing. <laughs> I've had friends that, I mean, like, that had some great cars. There were some beautiful cars. These are the days where cars were like, I guess they call them muscle cars these days, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, fastback uh, Mustangs and yep. 57 Chevys and Dodge Chargers souped up and just, you know. Yeah. And, it, and, and the street was like that. It was colorful cars, girls, you know. Uh. <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds fun. I mean, I remember a lot of people driving those cars when I was a kid here in, in, in Kitchener. And as we talked about earlier, I lived in Michigan for a little bit as a kid, but, but we didn't have that kind of, you know, we never have the racing in the streets going on and, you know, people kind of hanging out. It was a pretty tame town back then, but uh, you know, aside from the annual car show or something like that. But uh, so what was it like as a kid? I mean, and, and what about the musical influences and things like that? Well, let's see. Um, the, as a kid, School was cool. I mean, it was. Uh, I was the. Uh, I was the only kid in, in the in the, grade school I went to that had a, a, a white last name. Everything was, Martinez or Chavez or you know it was on that right. part of town, okay. right? Yeah. But uh, so that was interesting. But but, uh, um, if you wanted music, you would go to. They had dances and they, and they had. Uh, so I think they had something like that here in Kitchener too. Uh, where they would skate and they would play music at the at the skating thing. Yeah. Except this wasn't a DJ, this was a band's playing. And I and there was a couple of really good bands in town where I'd go listen, I'd watch the guitar players, I'd stand right up, you know, just check out their hands, see what they were doing. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a mystery to me. I wanted yeah. to play, but I didn't know what they were doing. So, uh, you know, in those days, uh, I don't know if you remember a guitar band called The Ventures, I do, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, like it went from that, and then I, then when then when the Beatles hit, it was like, whoa, you know, everything yeah. went kind of British, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and, I know for sure. Yeah, so so we, it was all bands playing cover tunes. There was there was really no um, nobody doing any any um, original music there except for one guy, and I wound up playing with that guy, and we started writing songs, right? So oh, cool. And, uh, Anybody we've heard of, or is he just long well, from the past? He's, he's, he, you never heard of him musically. Uh, later on, he got heard of. Uh, he became one of those uh, uh, sort of uh, UFO kind of guys. And oh, okay. you can look him up on, on YouTube. Some of the, he, he passed, he's since passed away. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, anyway, musically, we, well, he saved my life in a way. Uh, can, can I tell you that story? Yeah, please. Yeah, that sounds, you got me hooked already. <laughs> okay, well, uh, as I was coming out of high school, I was, you know, um, the Vietnam War was happening, and and I was, if either, if you went to university, you you didn't, they weren't going to take you. Right. Okay? So the trouble, the thing was, if you didn't want to go to university, your number would probably come up, right? Sure. So uh, my dad had arranged it. My dad was, used to work in the military and stuff and um, 
he arranged it so that I, I had an interview with these guys at, the, at that very college I told you about, that uh, that military academy yeah. that was in town. And I was going to trade two years of junior college there, and then following that, six years as a lieutenant in Vietnam, I was going to do that. Oh, my for the education that was that was my that was my college deal right and i actually started that but that i was still in high school when we had done that and that spring some guy came walking in this guy here he came walking into the 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 choir room of, of the high school where i was at he had been a former student he was looking for some girls to sing on the on the background of his uh, new record that he was doing okay and he he brought a tape and he was showing it to the choir director and i'm listening I'm I'm a senior. I'm just about to graduate, and then he went off to go talk to somebody, and I grabbed my guitar, which was in there, right? Because I used to play guitar for the choir, and I learned a song, and it was an intricate song. It was very Beatleish, like you know. Right. And he, as he came back in, he saw me playing his song, and he said, "You already know how to play my song." I said, "Yeah." And he goes, you want to play on it? I went, yeah. <laughs> oh, so man. so I, I got to go with the girls down to the studio, and I got to put an acoustic guitar on it, right? And um, he says, we should be in a band. And I said, oh, I, at the end of summer, I got to go to boot camp, and I got then I got to be two yeah. years junior college. And he goes, no, man. He says, the, the Nashville's asking me about this record. And I'm going, really? <laughs> and so I made a decision. I thought, okay. I'll take my chances. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go the music route. I really upset my father because he had done a lot to pull strings to get me that. Sure, part. yeah. And I didn't show up for boot camp, and instead I went with his band. And Nashville didn't happen, but I was lucky. I didn't go to Vietnam. They didn't choose me. So. Oh, thank thank God. <laughs> so anyway, I got I got I got to thank. His name was Jose Jose Escamilla. So I got I got a. I got to thank Jose for that, you know. Oh, that's that's brilliant. That's that's a but, great story. But but you know, like when it comes right down to it, the artist in you goes like, "Well, do you, do I really want to go over there and carry a gun and do all?" I mean, yeah. not that that's something you'd want to do. It just it was looked like there was no other choice. Right and, right. and then, but but when when you get something like music or aesthetics coming up, going bang, you go like, "Nah, it, it talks to my heart." So I made yeah. a decision. Well, thank God. Now, were you you know not to get too personal, but I mean. Um, were, were there people in your town that you knew that that didn't come back from the war? Oh yeah, man. Yeah, there were. There were. And there was a really good friend of mine, and he was just the nicest guy. And he went and he he joined the Marines. I don't know why he joined the Marines. Everybody yeah. knows the Marines go in there first, and they That's always right. get. And he, uh, you know, I even saw him afterwards. He did. He wasn't even the same guy. I mean, like he was. Uh-huh. He was very, you know. He, well, he was just a laid back dude before that. His name was Jim Rivera, and he didn't make it. Uh, and and then some guys that did come back, just never the uh, same. Eh? Oh, one one time we're sitting around. This is like maybe uh, two or three years later, and uh, you know a bunch of people playing music, sitting down playing guitars, and this guy noticed. You could tell you could tell who was in the in the army because they had really short hair. Right. You know, he had this messed up arm like this, right? And and I thought, oh. Did that happen? Did you get hit with shrapnel or something? He goes, says no, man. He says I became a junkie over there. That's that's from a bad needle. I'm like, what? Oh. <laughs> and then I realized I realized oh, there's this whole other story of what happened to guys. You know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, we don't have to get into that. I just, I, but I did see that kind of stuff. You know. Yeah, well, that's too bad. Uh, well, thank God you never went that route. <laughs>
John McKinley with Quando Jomi Voy. What a great tune. So what about uh, like family members, musicians, singers, like songwriters? Were you kind of an oddity or were there other people in your family, immediate or extended family who were musical? My mom sang. She had a great voice and she could harmonize really well. So I had, I could, I could hear harmony right away. Right. That helped me. My dad had an old guitar, but didn't really do much with it. Showed me how to tune it. And when I said, I need lessons, he said, uh, he even threw a Melway book at me. He said, here, that's your lessons. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I just learned chords. But no, not really. Uh, I did have an aunt who was a dancer. Okay. Well, what she, what she had, and she was a professional. I mean, like, she, like she'd put on shows and stuff, and she'd been to New York and Los right. Angeles and all over. And so uh, I would help her sometimes with her shows, playing the music music for her putting like a dj you know nice. and uh she had a great record collection so i would listen to stuff like uh uh west side story and uh i mean this is old stuff yeah, <laughs> it well, wasn't, yeah. wasn't even rock yet right uh uh the time out by the dave brubeck quartet you know it has take five oh, yeah. uh, you sketches, know sketches of spain miles davis she had stuff like that right yeah yeah uh, that's so wild my wife and i um she was searching the soundtrack to bosch we watched bosch on on prime and he listened to a lot of jazz and that's all the stuff we were listening to yesterday miles davis and then that dave brubeck album cover came up on spotify on the screen i went 
my parents had that album and uh you know, so, yeah. you know the one yeah 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 with that kind of abstract picture on it and that's the one yeah yeah, yeah. and uh i mean they had the west side story soundtrack and manla from la mancha they had you know benny goodman and then johnny cash i mean that was the one thing that my dad and i bonded <laughs> over was johnny cash but uh so random um but yeah such great stuff man um so so now you talked about watching the guitar players and things like that play and you had a you were playing guitar at that point this was in high school or uh actually i started i started Messing with the guitar, uh, probably around ten years old. Okay, but then I got into sports, yeah. and then I got into girls, and then yeah. you know the, the high, you know, the clothes you wear at school, and I just I didn't I I didn't do it. And then around fourteen or fifteen, I saw I started again, and I I just noticed that well, this this it just it appealed to me. Okay, and uh, you know, music music had. Uh, by that time, the Beatles and the Stones and and uh, Animals and all those guys were out. Um, yeah, great time. Jimi Hendrix had just showed up, so I'm, I thought I got a long way to go, buddy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, no kidding. But and uh, I realized that that uh, you know I, I could learn more than just my A chord, my D chord, my G chord. I better start learning some of this other stuff. That's when I was paying attention to what the guys were doing. Because I, I knew there was something they were doing that I didn't know how to do. Yeah, yeah, cool. And and so the first guitar you had was an acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a was my dad's old K. Okay, you could you could put an arrow on it and pew, shoot it. It was, it was like it was bowed like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. <laughs> yeah, and I said, "Man, this is really really a lot of work," and I didn't realize you could have you could play a good guitar. That's different. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, I I love to kind of look online and Reverb dot com and these places, and you see some of these old K guitars and. Uh, uh, I watched a guy playing one one time and it had just, just had this great sound. And he's talking about, you know, it's a cheap guitar, but it just, some of them, he goes, you know, some of them are just crap, but some of them you play them, they got this great little vintage sound. And uh, so I started looking for them online and, you know, some of them aren't cheap now because they're, you know, oh, they become these collector's items. And, uh, Oh man, if I, if I would have known, if I would have kept all the things I had. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No kidding. I, I, I had a I had a a no caster. I don't know if you know what that is, but it sounds uh, familiar. I'm, okay, I'm sure. okay, like the, the 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 first telecasters were called broadcasters. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, and um and there was one in the middle there that was that was it it didn't have a decal or a decal or what do we call it on the yeah. that said fender. Okay, and that's called a no caster because it had nothing. But it was one of those. It only had one pickup, and it had a pewter nut, not not plastic that was pewter right and 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 i didn't realize that it was probably early 50s maybe even 40s on that one yeah and i but i traded it in because i I wanted the les paul and they gave me a 100 bucks for it nice and and was it actually was were those actually made by fender or was it yeah yeah yeah. no yeah you can look them up they're called we're called a note I don't know why why they didn't have a decal on them. They were called no casters. It's funny. I've got a book behind me, the red one. I don't know if you can kind of see the top of it, but it and maybe yeah. you've is read it. It's called the story of loud, and it was basically the origins of uh, the battles between sort of Les Paul and and, uh, and, and Leo Leo Fender and and trying to build these guitars, and then all of the other guys that were Bigsley and the different people who were involved as well. Uh, so I remember the broadcaster. Um, uh, being mentioned i don't remember the no caster but that's, that's kind of wild yeah well I, it was an odd thing I, like yeah. somebody told me no that i said i called it a telecaster because i thought it was a telly it yeah, looks yeah. like a telly right yeah, yeah. Said, no that's not a telly it only has one pickup <laughs> doesn't have doesn't have the front one. So that's, it, and then 
then we found out what year it was made. It would probably be a broadcaster. Okay, right. but then then I I but he thought everybody thought it was funny. They didn't have a thing on it. Me, I thought somebody sanded it off or something. Yeah. Then it, then I found out later there was something called a no caster where they didn't have a decal on them. <laughs> that's so awesome. <laughs> anyway, nice little piece of trivia there. Um, well, that's very cool. So Here, here's some trivia for you. You yeah. mentioned Bixby. Yeah. In town, I don't. Do you know Glenn Affelt? Uh, name sounds very familiar. Um, well, re- really great guitar player from from town. His family all played guitar. His dad used to play pedal steel, okay. and his dad worked with Bixby to create the Bixby thing. And they, oh, they you're kidding? Right, no, they live right here in Kitchener. That's and, wild. And, and because I don't know if his dad's still alive, I think he is. But because of his dad's connection to to these early guitar things, whenever whenever. Uh, um, What's what's the name of the guitar that, that Carlos Santana plays now? That uh, um, uh, oh yes yes I I can see it but I'm I'm blanking. Anyway, whenever those whenever that guy has a, a little conference or something like that or a little party, he gets invited to it. Glenn okay. does because of his dad, and he sat and talked to Carlos Santana and stuff like that. That's very cool. Is it a PS something or? A, I think anyway, so. Yeah, yeah I'm anyway. gonna have to I'm gonna have to look that up after the show. And I know the guitar because I remember looking up the last time I saw him playing. Uh, I was watching something from House of Blues where they had the original Santana band from with Neil Sean and everybody back together. And I'm like, what the hell is he playing these P- days? And PRS, PRS. Uh, yeah, okay. Cool. Paul Reed Smith. Yeah. Paul Reed Smith. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Anyway, yeah. I just thought I'd give you that little bit of trivia. There's a guy right from Kitchener that we all, we've seen Bixby's all over. He helped develop the Bixby with Bixby. That's so cool. Well, thanks yeah. for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so when did you start kind of realizing, I mean, <clears throat> I guess as these things happen, were, were there records beyond like some of the ones you mentioned with the, the jazz and, and some of the West Side Story and the oddball records, but um, like Hendrix and, and the Beatles and these guys were coming along. So what was the first album that you actually bought or the first 45 singles? You remember those? Oh, yeah. Like the very first album I bought uh, was... A Dave Clark Five album. Okay, it was yeah. it was called uh, American Tour. Nice, and uh, I liked the band because they had a sax. I thought yeah. it was cool. Yeah. And I, by that time, I was into the Beatles too, but I I didn't own one. I mean, I was I was like ten years old, right? So, yeah. but but the girls that were at at this at my grandmother's house, they were teens and stuff. They had the Beatles albums. I spent all my time in their room listening, looking at the album covers. So I was into the Beatles too. I just didn't own anything. Yeah. So, but the first one was the Dick Clark Five, and the first single I got was probably "Nowhere Man" by the oh, Beatles. Cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a great time to be coming up. And I mean, you know, I would I would have killed. I remember. I don't. I think my first conscious memories would have been around 1969 when I was living in Michigan, hearing a lot of great stuff on the music uh, music on the radio from kind of that era in those bands but it was more probably i don't have a conscious memory of listening to them i remember coming to canada and my brother taking me out to buy a 45 single and i wanted to get a beatles single and we were looking at the bin at sam the record man i think they're 99 cents and then with tax and yeah. you know buck seven so my brother lent me the dime to cover the tax <laughs> and, and i remember he pulls out hey jude and i'm like i don't recognize that one you know i recognize a few beatles names and he, he goes no trust me you love this song and I don't remember consciously hearing it. I didn't recognize the title. Now, mind you, I'm only six or seven years old at this point. <laughs> so my life is very short. But when you're a little kid, you know, I went home, I put the record on. And it was like 
time stood still. I was like having this out of body experience. Like <laughs> I've been reincarnated and I'd heard this in a previous life. And I was like, Oh my God. And like, even to this day, it's still my favorite recording. Um, but there's so many good ones. I mean, Hendrix all along the watchtower. And I mean, just that whole era was just insane. It must've been great for you coming up during that and having to, to be conscious of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I was in my mom's car. We're driving and all along the watchtower came on and I'm hearing that, you know, you know that first guitar thing yeah. that does, and and it just my ear went like, whoa, you know. And then as they started singing, I thought, oh, that's Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, but I hadn't heard that song yet, you know. And then uh, it blew me away. It, it's just it, what a gorgeous tune. Now there, there's a really good example of a, a collaboration, sort of, you know, yeah. indirectly, of an incredible songwriter yeah. who's great with lyrics, Bob Dylan. But his version doesn't sound like that because he's no. not as hip a musician as Hendrix. And then this incredible musician, and you put the two together. What a perfect marriage! That's that's yeah. one of the best songs ever. You know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That that just blows my mind to this day. I mean, you know, Layla by Derek and the Domino too. Like, I mean, the sophistication in some of those recordings at the time is it, incredible. And I think I was just hearing something lately, and I remember hearing stories about how Hendrix drove everybody nuts. It was like a twenty-four hour recording session. And he couldn't get the sound that was in his head. And he kept, come on, come on, come on. But I didn't realize that he played, apparently played bass on that session. Because I yeah. guess um, <laughs> there's a Noel Redding, the bass player, stayed home. He didn't think, he was, ah, it's late and everybody's been drinking. It's not going to be very productive. I'm just staying in. <laughs> and, you know, well, I, I, think, I, think, I think with Jimmy that you have to kind of call your shots. Because Jeff Beck even said he'd come over to New York to visit at the time that Jimmy had, you know, the, the studios going and all that. And, and, of course, he's in New York, Jeff Beck. He said, let's go party. Let's go to the clubs. Let's go see somebody. And he said, we'd be at a club for maybe 20, 30 minutes. And Jimmy said, let's go jam. Yeah. And then he did go back to the studio. <laughs> he says, like, the, all the guy wanted to do was play guitar. Yeah. It's like, he said, it, it got to you after a while. It's like, come on, let's have some fun, man. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I heard that he never without his guitar, slept with it, whatever. But, uh, I mean paid off, I guess, in the sense of making him so legendary, but short life, sadly.
than you to win Cause I'm a passionate man Ooh yeah Passionate man I'm a passionate man yeah. A passionate man I got a heart Big as Texas Hands of velvet steel John McKinley once again with a song called Passionate Man. Um, so obviously a lot of those songs are very inspiring. Was there one particular song or one particular album or one particular musician um, that really triggered you and said, okay, this is what I want to do? Or was it later in life that you kind of figured out? Well, actually, there was one that made me take a turn, made me adjust my course, if you will, because I I had gotten into the Simon and Garfunkel thing, and I was actually pretty good at finger picking stuff. Right. right. Okay. So I could do the boxer and April comes, she will. I do all that stuff, and I had a guy that could sing Garfunkel's parts, so we would do Simon and Garfunkel stuff, right? Oh, cool. And, and then <laughs> that friend went off to university, came back to the, that very first break with some other university friends, and they had the Led Zeppelin two album, which. <sighs> I'd never seen, right? So they put up, but I, I'd heard, but I heard on the radio, the little short version that yeah, yeah. edited, but they put it on the, they put it on my stereo. So we're sitting there listening and then this big long thing in the middle is said, wow, that's really cool. And then, you know, the drums come in and that guitar solo, and my ear just went like, what? And that guitar, it just blew me away. I thought, yeah. That is, and I'd already heard Hendrix, and I'd already heard yeah. lots of stuff, and I went like, "Okay, I'm going to play electric guitar." <laughs> that I thought Jimmy Page's solo, that right, that's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, the production on it, it was perfect. It just it blew me away, man. I was like, yeah. "It's say, you know." It, it's funny because I, and I'm sure many of us, but I had, <clears throat> and it's funny because that was my trajectory as well. I mean, it was that moment of listening to that middle piece and that drum roll and that solo. I was like. I can I converted. I'm like Jimmy Page is my guy. I'm like holy <laughs> crap! And I, I, you know, I bought every Zeppelin album, and you know, I, I was all psyched up to go see them in concert. And then, of course, you know, tragedy hit twice. I mean, I remember my sister talking about getting tickets, and then Robert Plant's son died, and then I remember her talking about tickets, and then John Bonham died. But uh, yeah, it, it's crazy how just a couple minutes or not even like thirty seconds of music can just whoa <laughs> exactly and you know i i distinctly remember the other guys they were older than me you know yeah, yeah. i was still in high school and my buddy and his friends are so they're sophisticated they're talking about this and that and they were real audiophiles so they listened to a lot of music and I remember them saying yeah i'm really getting to love heavy music man yeah me too yeah and and i and now i when i look back at it i realize the word heavy metal wasn't even around in those days yeah you, 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 hard rock was but they were already calling this heavy music as opposed to hard rock right. like hard rock was more like cream or even Jimi hendrix or right yeah that was psychedelic too but but i mean like you know it was this this was just the beginning of that whole thing you know yeah for sure i think zeppelin are in a category all their own them the beatles yeah you know yeah they really are i mean it, it it's it's incredible even to this day in fact i was working out before our interview and i was listening to zeppelin i was listening to, to presence i mean and that's a heavy album i mean there's no keyboards on that album it's just all guitar drums and bass and and robert plant's incredible vocal and 
Um, but yeah, it, it stands the test of time for sure. There is nobody doing that stuff. And, you know, whether you're, and I know there are some haters. I remember a friend of mine, his, his brother, and I won't mention his name, but his brother was a journalist for the record and he would do the weekly record reviews. And, uh, you know, he used to wear a shirt that said Springsteen is God or E street band is the greatest band in the world or something like that. And I was just getting into Springsteen then. And I'm a huge Springsteen fan now. Didn't appreciate it quite at the time, but he had no respect for zeppelin at all and i went you are fucking insane man (laughs) it's like i said you know i mean if you don't like it that's one thing but you know but what i found over the years a lot of times when people discard people myself included it's because they haven't really listened to much people say you know okay well name me five led zeppelin songs and of course he couldn't so i said well you know maybe listen a little deeper a little harder before you make that (laughs) statement but that that was that was good student i'm going to reuse that because well you know what it is is okay can, I'm going to wax philosophy here a little bit, some musical philosophy. Okay. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm more of a of a composer than right. I am a, a songwriter. Like, I mean, I can write songs, and and but the the distinction I'm making is I like music. I mean, yeah. I like music. I listen to all kinds of stuff, and I like the way music fits and what you can do with it. And, and yeah. I, I wanted to figure how does that work. When you listen to Zeppelin, okay, let's let's just for example, let's just take the two bands that that came out at that same time that people keep talking about that were at the beginning of what later became called heavy metal. The other one was Black Sabbath. Okay, yeah. now they're a great band, and if you're a guitar guy and all that, it's great, you know. But you look at them musically, like what they're actually doing compositionally. There's no comparison. No. There's it's there just isn't like like Jimmy Page is an incredible composer. You know, he's he's got some incredible stuff that he's doing. And if you look at it from just a musical aspect, I mean, they're incredible. In fact, I, I used to do this with people. I'd say, I'm going to play a rhythm. I'm not even going to play the, sing the music or anything. And you tell me what song it is. And right. and they'll know it's Zeppelin. Yeah. You, you watch Zeppelin, you can recognize a Zeppelin tune by the rhythm alone. That's right. Because that's, that's how, anyway. It, and it, I mean, it, and it's deep and it swings. And I think a lot of it, I mean, and yeah, I love Black Sabbath too, but I mean, and they've got a unique sound, but they're kind of one dimensional. I mean, I think they had an album called Never Say Die later in their career, which, which, which was completely oddball from everything else they did. Um, and the odd song here or there. But yeah, it wasn't, you know, Zeppelin, every single album was different. And I mean, it was, you know, and I think Sabbath were a bunch of guys that grew up in the same town and, and were buddies and they started jamming together. And that's how their songs came out. Whereas, yeah. like you said, um, you know, with Paige, he's composing. I mean, he had all that session background for years, being a top session player on every kind of session too, like jazz and blues and rockabilly and pop. And and then you've yeah. got, you know, the guys that he picked to be in that band. I mean, John Paul Jones was a session guy and a multi-instrumentalist. And I mean, you listen to John Bonham's drumming and it swings. I mean, it, it's, it does. It's it got does. stuff that, I mean, it's not just heavy plotting. I mean, it's got a swing to it <laughs> and it's, yeah. It does. In fact, if if you, it's really hard to duplicate that swing. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, and he's got a really unique touch. And it's funny. I saw the Jason Bonham experience, and he talked about how you know everybody thought his his dad just beat the crap out of the drums, but it it wasn't. It was just he had a certain touch in the way that they mic'd the kit, which I think was more of a Glenn Johns thing or maybe a Jimmy Page thing. I'm not sure, but they just got that sound that it just it sounds like. I mean, the guy must be you know. 250 pounds and 10 feet tall and just beating the crap out of it. But he's just, he was just a little guy. Bonham wasn't that big a guy. Well, I, I do remember Jimmy Page saying that he had gotten this one amp 
uh, owner. It was a Vox AC30. Right. And he, and he said, oh, I, I, I got it set up, man. It, it's got the perfect tone and all that. He says the first <clears throat> session he had with Bonham in, in, the, in this place when they got together, he realized, that's not going to cut it. <laughs> I'm going to need Marshall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't know why. I mean, maybe he did beat those drums harder than anybody. No, I, I, just, but, but I, I just, think, I think it was. I, but I think it's technique. Like, you yeah, said. I think, yeah, I think it's technique, and maybe the way he tuned them and the, and whatever it was. But man, yeah, it was heavy. And I, I think that's why I like about Zeppelin is that you can hear all four. I mean, I guess Robert Plant kind of said it the one time. He said, "Really, it's a power trio." And I never really thought about that because I mean, he's a singer, but his voice is so instrument like it's almost like another instrument and he's a hell of a harmonica player but when you hear him and page kind of sparring and trading licks vocally versus guitar i mean he's really another musician in the band in my mind exactly but, um, but what's cool about that band is i mean you know we want to get back to talking about you but you got me excited about it it's like you can hear everybody individually like you can hear the bass you can hear the drums you can hear like it's not like just the guitar out front like you can hear everybody playing but i mean i I didn't realize until later what a great producer that jimmy page was in terms of mixing all that stuff and making it balance right and you know that those subtleties of really loud and then really quiet and yeah i mean some serious nuances see everything you just said there the really loud and the really quiet uh the, the, every, there were, each one was a different instrument. You could hear it the way it was made. Yeah. Those are all musical terms. Those are yeah. that's why it was so musical. It was actually musical, you know, yeah. Yeah, as I agree. opposed to just being music for consumption. Well, we're, <laughs> you know? we're, we're going to have to go out one night and have a couple of beers and just listen to Zeppelin <laughs> and talk Zeppelin all night. Um, but let, let's get back to John McKinley. Uh, so, so obviously, you made a bit of a turn on that path, and the electric guitar came in the picture. Uh, did you have a Les Paul at this point, or you no? That? In fact, in fact, I, I still didn't. Okay, sorry, it's going to come back to Zeppelin, yeah, but yeah. I still didn't even know what 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 a Les Paul was. We yeah. went and saw this band and came to town from Dallas called Baby. They were a great band. Now they had two Les Pauls, and they, they were there were harmonies. Were, were they were playing harm, harmonies lines, right? And it sounded so beautiful. I, and I asked the guy I was with, the guitar player, I said, "What is that?" He said, "That's a Les Paul." I said, "I like that guitar. I'd never seen one." Yeah. So I mean, this is a little town I'm from. They, they didn't have much. So then I went to the music store and I said, "Have yeah, you got a Les Paul?" And he pulled one out of the back. It wasn't even in the front. Dusted off the thing, opened it up. And there's the guitar. I it's this one. Oh no, this kidding! This is the one. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then and I said, I said, good. I'll take it. And it took me about a year to <laughs> save up enough to, to yeah. that. That's the one I put the down payment on uh, my telly on. And anyway, oh. so so then, fast forward a couple years later, we go see Zeppelin. I'm living in Albuquerque by now. Zeppelin comes to the Albuquerque Arena, and they walk out on stage, and this guy comes, and he's got a Les Paul, and he's putting it on. The, the, the tech is putting the Les Paul on Jim yeah. And I said, oh, he plays a Les Paul. Like, we, we didn't know. There was no, I, I mean. Yeah, it's not like. There was the no day. magazines that showed you that yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it was, yeah, that's the answer to the question is, I didn't know that. I just thought, I thought it was a cool guitar, you know. Yeah, that's funny. Well, and, it, and I don't think I realized until later as I got more into Zeppelin that, you know, Page did play tellies and strats as well, of course, which makes yeah. sense. Um, but I always had done it. It was the same thing. I wanted to get, I mean, I've got a collection of the different guitars. Not that I'm, you know, 
that great a guitar player, but just a fan of the music. And, you know, I've got the Telly and the Strat and the Les Paul and the SG because I wanted, you know, there's each different people that I, you know, love, like Tony Iommi plays the SG or Jerry Garcia used to play an SG. And oh, yeah. Paige and the Les Paul, that's what, you know, really got me excited, right? And uh, and then, of course, Clapton with the Strat. But then he was, Clapton was one of the ones that kind of brought the Les Paul back when it almost went extinct because of the Beano album and with well, with. Yeah. Exactly, and in fact, in fact, when he was recording, okay, sorry, it's going to go back to that one. But when he was recording that album, the engineer said was saying he had because Clapton had the the forty five watt what's now called a blues breaker because yeah. of that album Marshall, which was new at the time, and a Les Paul, and he had this tone, and the, the engineer is saying because Jimmy Page was in the in the control room watching. And the engineer says, I, I, this guy's unrecordable. I can't get him to turn down. Jimmy Page says, I don't know what to do. And, he, and the guy says, go ahead. So all Jimmy Page did is turn the fader down and let him play at the volume he wanted to yeah. get the tone he wanted. And I'm sure Jimmy was going, okay, Les Paul, uh, Marshall, <laughs> right. You know, I'm sure yeah. he was doing that. Right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and that's another great story that um, I had just heard recently that Jimmy Page was on that session. I think I was reading something with him because I'm always reading all these old magazines and they do re-editions now of the old magazine. So I was reading an interview and I didn't know that he was on that session because I'd heard the story about the engineer going, oh, I can't record this guy and it's too loud. And I remember hearing a comment about where John Mayo said, just let God play. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't know until recently that Jimmy Page was in that session. So I mean, yeah, it totally makes sense, like you said. But yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, um, <laughs> boy, the the mythology grows. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs>
That was John McKinley with Rev It Up. Um, so now, did you play in Texas at some point? Or, I mean, I thought I heard kind of some stories about you playing with some of the blues guys down there in Texas. And... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was. I wound up in Austin. Uh, one of the New Mexico bands went through all Texas, and we had it. We were booked by a, by a Texas booking agency, and and they, man, you can you can spend all your lifetime just traveling Texas. You yeah, know? For there's sure. lots to do there. Big. And but I wound up in Austin because the band broke up, and I and I got with another band, and long story, I I wound up there for a little bit, and uh, so I would run into guys, and I would be, be in different bands, and it was it was uh, a real interesting town because it had. The country thing, the outlaw country thing, was starting to happen. Yeah. Yep. Plus, it had this blues thing because of Antones, right? And then it had a real rock thing. And in fact, one of the guys, the guy that helped me get my boogie, uh, was uh, Eric Johnson. Right. Okay. Like, yeah. Like in those days, you could not get a Mesa boogie. They, they didn't sell them in, in stores. You had <laughs> to you had to order them from the guy that made them, yeah. and and you couldn't get his number anywhere. So I. I remember I was in a music store and, and I, I asked the guy, I said, how do you get a boogie? He says, I don't know. He says, I know a guy in town's got one. What's his name? He said, Eric Johnson. Here's his number. So I called him up and he gave me the number, told me how to do it and everything. And that's how I got my boogie. But, but that's great. Uh, it was a rock town too, you know? Yeah. And so if in Texas, you play blues. If, if you're a country guy, you know how to play blues. If you're a rock guy, you know how to play blues. You yeah. just play blues. It's not a. It, you didn't have to be a quote unquote blues guitar player. Right. Now there were some guys that really were purists, and there were some guys that sucked at it. But, but I mean, like, like, you know, it, it was a, it was a town. There were there were incredible musicians there, and yeah. that, that aren't famous, you yeah. know, and uh, you know, so. All I can say is, uh, you know, you tried to do the best you could when you played blues. You tried to be authentic as you could, you know. Um, I find I, th- I find that there's that there's a whole different way. I don't want to get technical, but, but there's a whole different way that they go about it as opposed to what uh, somebody who would go to a teacher, let's say, would get right, from a right. teacher. Because you can't get that out of a book. You kind of get, I mean, you can, but it doesn't sound like the guy that said, look. Is what you see. Got that? Okay, good. That's it. That's how you get it. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, if you're if you're plugged in there and you want to give us an example, I mean, by all means, go ahead. Uh, Can I? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've had Say a couple. No more. We've Say had a couple no people. Yeah. Well, we. I mean, James Anthony played some stuff live um, on the show when I interviewed him, and Griffin Brothers did a tune live as well, which Whoa. is very cool. Now, Stu, I know this is only an hour show, and I'm and I realize I'm talking a lot. That's okay. We so can we we can do a two, just, we can do know. a two part show, John. John, don't worry about it. Okay, there's this thing, the pentatonic scale, and apparently there's five different positions you can play it up the neck. Right. I don't know any of those. <laughs> and neither neither do most of the guys that play down there. What you do is you learn this one. And you put a little thing on top of it. A little what they call an extension, or I call yeah. it an extension. You've heard that a million times, right? Yeah. So you put that on top of this. And you duplicate that up here. And you put that up here too. So now you've got an octave up. The same thing here. 
And then you connect them with a scale that goes across the whole neck diagonally, like this. And that's it. That's all you that's all you need. And that out of that you get or very useful and it, and you can only get those sounds here you can't get them playing everything like this if, if you learn to play this way then it boxes you in and you sound like you're playing this way but if you learn to play diagonally then you sound different you know and that's, that's one thing i noticed that they do there yeah because, yeah, I mean, everybody up here, I mean, kids that I all grew up with, I mean, we're all learning the pentatonic and we're learning the five positions, and it's it's a son of a bitch to, to learn yeah. that. And, yeah. Oh, you, you, th <laughs> I, you think money waters. <laughs> and I'll tell, tell you where I think it comes from. I think because you, you remember the original blues was guys like Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson going... <laughs> slide right yeah yeah well with a slide it makes sense to play it because you can't bend the slide like you can your fingers right right yeah you know what i mean you can't get that kind of so you got to play it wherever wherever you got straight wherever you got harmonies right so that's why i think that's why i think that the other guitar players that played blues who weren't slide players i think they would they probably Develop from them copying what the slide guys did. Yeah, that's really that's cool. cool. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, and I, I don't know if you, do you remember a guy. I'm sure you do. Steve Adams that used to uh, to play and teach in the area. Um, I think he passed away maybe 20 years ago. Um, he had Steve Adams Guitar Studio, and I think he had touched on that one time in a lesson with me, where he was talking about the this, this sort of connector scale and. Uh, you know, and I never really got back to it, and I think I will now. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is John McKinley, and you are listening to Musicians FAQ on CKMS 102.7 Radio, Waterloo, with your host, Stuart McKee. You a young man down at the casino, bidding high stakes on a losing pair of dice, walking through the room in a brand new tuxedo, left flat broke with a youth pair of dice. Thank you for listening to Musicians FAQ Podcast with your host, Stuart McKee. We're here every week with great Canadian musical artists 